How do you view mentorship? In your experience, is it a box to check off or is it an inspiring and impactful practice? This week's guest, Matthew Joseph, shares how he changed the role and perception of mentorship to invigorate aspiring leaders and enhance the skills of sitting leaders. I'm extremely excited to talk to Matthew as we dive into The Modern Mentor. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a very exciting time. And Matthew, I know you have a lot of experience in leadership, and I would just love to hear about your leadership journey and how you became a director of curriculum, instruction, and assessment. My leadership journey actually started way back in uh, the early 90s at Springfield College, where I attended my undergrad degree. I love Springfield College. I bleed maroon with all the opportunities that they afforded me in leadership. I had the opportunity to be um, class officer, class vice president, new student orientation leader. And one of the benefits that Springfield College allowed is that they had a leadership training conference. They call it LTC. And what they did for the younger aspiring leaders is we would go to Silver Bay, New York. And it was a YMCA affiliate because Springfield College is, you know, where besides where basketball was founded, where the YMCA really developed. And we would go there. And for three years, I had real intense leadership training from the professors and other professionals. And at 19, 20, 21, that was something I didn't expect to get out of college. I went to be uh, an educator and came out with some leadership traits thanks to that, that work. And then went into teaching for the next 11 years. And through that time, had an opportunity in Berkshire County, where I grew up here in Massachusetts, to, they were like growing our own leadership. And it was at the time, something new where the districts were training their own aspiring leaders so that they could stay and be principals, which I thought was a great program. So I jumped right in and then had an opportunity, unfortunately, for Pittsfield, where I was, they went through a change in superintendent. And when that happened, they cut the program. And it really showed me at an early age, I was you know, mid-20s how leadership can shift a culture. But thankfully, at that point, I had the principal's degree and I was a principal at that point for the next 11 years in more Eastern Mass near Boston. I was principal in Attleboro, Massachusetts, and then in Natick. From there, I got to see leadership where other people pushed me to be better. And my superintendent at the time was a Boston College graduate for his PhD. You know, I wouldn't say pushed me there, but really encouraged that that was something to do. So I went to Boston College for my educational doctorate. And then the last four years have been in district leadership in a few different capacities. One is the digital learning and innovation director. And then my current role in Leicester, Massachusetts, which is near Worcester, in the curriculum and instruction. You know, in a short time, that's my 25 years leadership journey. Yeah, I want to talk about the two positions that you just talked about with the director of curriculum <laughs> instruction assessment. And then also you said the director of digital learning and innovation. For those who may not understand what those roles are, can you just give a brief description of what those two roles are? Sure. So in my um, 11 years as a principal, I had an opportunity to work very closely with a lot of, uh, with Apple, with Smart, and with a lot of technical applications and instructions. And at the time when technology was booming, there were two very different camps. There was the technicians, and then there was the building or school leaders. And I was fortunate enough to have a few opportunities to meld both of those together. So as a principal, I 
you know, we brought in smart boards and did daily podcasts using green screens. We did it. We podcasted. This was 11, 12 years ago. Podcasted our morning announcements every single day. Our students, you know, we're from Massachusetts. We flew to San Diego into Atlanta to present to school districts. And before ISTE was ISTE, it was actually called NEC, N-E-C-C. And we would go there and present. So I had an opportunity to bring both the leadership and the tech leadership together. And I was fortunate, a district said, well, we wanna make this, you know, I was doing this as an, in school. Mm-hmm. And a district said, let's create this position, director of digital innovation and instruction and come on in. And so what happened was I came in and we launched a one-to-one initiative. Awesome. So we had no wireless, we had no devices, and it came in in over three years, kind of infused the district with both technology, but also the professional development to make that happen. Because, you know, you know, we hear one-to-one, you know, one-to-one is just a math problem. You have 3,000 kids, you give them 3,000 devices, you solve the problem. But that doesn't change instruction, which led me to my current position because I saw the power of innovation. I saw the power of instruction. And I wanted to bring that more into the initial side of that. And I was really looking at roles that would allow me to do that in the current superintendent where I'm at now also is a Boston College graduate and we kind of just had some connections and told her kind of where my aspirations were with both writing and, and speaking at some events and she was looking at really infusing the district with some new instructional strategies and it was a, a good fit into that and so you had asked about this new role my new role is really taking those tools ideas thoughts and getting into classrooms. My goal every day is to be in two to five classrooms. I go to schools every day and I don't wanna be an absentee landlord. What I mean by that is anything that I share, I wanna go in and model. I've been doing some modeling in classrooms. Anyone who follows me on Twitter at Matthew X Joseph sees over the last month, I've had an opportunity to do some projects with classrooms in different states. Like that's the next thing I'm looking at. Kristen Nan, who wrote um, All In with, with JC, her superintendent, our third grade classes in Leicester did a Flipgrid and Padlet activity with her third grade classrooms in Pennsylvania. And now I'm working with um, Taylor, who's down in Alabama, who we just did a project on writing in, in habitat in New England and in Alabama this time of year, there's different habitats we're sharing through that. So the instructional side of my new role is really bringing those ideas and strategies into schools and to show the possibilities. And as a school principal, obviously, it's it's hard to get one initiative off the ground and to get it implemented. But now you're at the district level. How much more difficult is it to not only implement the technology piece, but then also bridge that with curriculum? So I think you have to take a step back before you take two steps forward. And when I started, one of the things I really wanted to do is I had the great opportunity to actually start June 1 versus July 1. And and it sounds like, oh, big deal. You started the last few weeks of the year. What did you get done? What I got done was I got to visit classrooms. I got to meet with teachers Mm -hmm. because without seeing the culture of the district and without seeing how teachers operate and listening, I wasn't going to be able to launch a new kind of instructional vision for the school. So, um, you know, Stephen Covey always says, you know, seek first to understand before you're understood. And I really needed to understand this landscape of, of instruction for teachers because one of the things that I really learned in Boston College in my dissertation was that teachers want to feel valued. I know it sounds like a Captain Obvious statement, but I studied job satisfaction for teachers, like how to enhance that. And one of the three main findings were they want to feel valued, they want to collaborate, and they want a strong mentor, which are things that I write about all the time. So uh, the shift was just getting in, and it was almost a little bit of blind faith, if you want to know the truth, to say, here's some things we can do. 
take a risk, take this walk and journey with me. And we shifted how we did our professional learning days. So we made them more like an event. So for me, that's something I'm comfortable with. I've been speaking at events and, and attending. So we changed our October professional development day to more like an event, sessions, signups, and it was full district. And at that point, I think people saw like, these are things we can do. And I had heard what everybody said for three months and now it's laying out right in front of them that they want choice in their own learning and then the tools to support their instruction. I know you had talked about mentorship in that answer and we're gonna definitely touch on that because you have an amazing book that just came out. Um, but before we do that, if sure. someone's listening to those two director positions and are interested in that, what is some advice for them to maybe obtain those positions? Well, I think as far as with digital learning and innovation, I think having a foundation in some basic technical skills, not how to utilize Word or Excel or PowerPoint, but how to take what teachers are doing. And I think this is a big misstep sometimes. We have some great technicians or people who know how to write code and different things, but they don't connect enough with teachers. I think where I had the, the good fortune is I was a teacher and I was a principal. So I brought the instructional leadership into the technology. So I ran a session down at FETC, the Future Educational Technology Conference to EdTech coaches. And, and the first thing I said, and I'm, this answer also goes out to all you principals listening, mm -hmm. let your EdTech coaches observe for one month. Let them go in, let them learn how teachers teach, let them learn the curriculum because when they give feedback, or they give suggestions, it's rooted in what's being taught, not a tool or a thing. The second position is the curriculum instruction. And that takes a lot of really diving into your state standards, um, expectations. And, and one of the things to look at is don't get bogged down with verbiage. Too often textbooks write their scope and sequence and people get confused thinking that's the curriculum. Well, those textbooks get sold to every elementary school across the country. If you purchase it, you have to know what your standards are, where your end goals are, and then you match that with you know, pacing guides and curriculum maps to ensure that the teachers are instructing what the students need to know. All right, so I want to dive into your book, Modern Mentoring, Reimagining Mentorship in Education. So for those sure. aspiring leaders that have not read the book yet, can you just give a quick synopsis of the book? Sure. And I want to talk a little bit about the actually shift in the book. The original book was called Modern Mentor, Reimagining Teacher Mentorship. Mm -hmm. But it was exactly the fear I had. And the reason I wrote the book is we think of mentorship in, in our profession as new teacher gets a mentor. Good luck. And I actually wrote the book to ensure that didn't happen. So when I saw the subtitle, the first thing I thought I was, no, it's about education as a whole. And the book is almost written in quarters. The first quarter is about a new teacher and to get the right mentor for that teacher, because that's critically important. You have to make sure that you have that entrance in the profession and you have somebody who is matched to your needs, not just the teacher next door. The second you know, quarter of the book is looking at that journey of the new teachers and mentors, because you know, very different than a coach, where the coach would come in, give a skill or a tactic, and then leave. The mentorship is for the entire year. So it's, it's a marathon and what it looks like in the middle of the year, what it looks like to finish a year. The next quarter is really talking about peer-to-peer -peer mentor because after that first year, you get teachers in your fifth year to 10th year. And sometimes, to be honest with you, you get stuck or you get stagnant and you can't always depend on kind of a stipend mentor to come in and help is how are you using your colleagues? So what are you doing for peer-to-peer -peer mentoring? And we talk about, you know, one of the chapters, teaching old dog new tricks and, and, and how are you using the teacher next door? So really talked about peer mentoring. 
And then the last quarter of the book talks about leaders because our profession is one of the only ones where the best classroom teachers become principals. And what does that mean? Two totally different jobs. They're extremely different. And doing them both, I could speak about that. So it, it's a different skill set. It's a different expectation. And we think because they're, you know, 20 years professionals, you've been in teacher in five different grades, you're going to be a great principal. Well, it takes a lot of different skill to do that. And how can we support both the aspiring leaders to show what that step looks like and to get the real kind of training and looking at budgets and making tough decisions and scheduling. And then once you are a leader, just because you're the boss doesn't mean you're the leader. And looking at the skills to, to become that leader is the last quarter of the book. So it's really looking at mentorship. So we changed the subtitle from teacher mentorship to reimagining mentorship and education because it goes from year one to retirement. Yeah. You know, this is a, a leadership podcast. I'm guessing that you've had some mentorship in your own journey. And I know for myself, I would not be in the position I am as an administrator without the mentorship of, of those who I worked with. So for you, was there a reason that you were drawn to the topic of mentorship? Yeah, I think... Uh, Every step of the way, both either positive mentor or something I saw, I was like, yeah, that's probably not how I'd like to do this. And what I really enjoyed writing with the book was it's not just a scripted, here's how to. It's infused with stories. So it talks about my first mentor, and I called her Miss Convenient Mentor. Just happened to be the teacher next door who, at 25, I didn't really connect with a 50-year-old woman who had grandchildren. And I just got out of college, and it wasn't the best fit, but she was convenient. Um, however, we talk about you know, positive mentorship where I wanted to speak and, I, and they brought in a mentor from another school and, and really mentored me. And then when I got into the leadership track, my superintendent in Natick, uh, Peter Sanchioni, brought me to the superintendent's conference. Well, I was just a principal and they're looking around like, why is this, why is this guy here? And that was about mentoring, like showing. And I, I, I remember to this day that the first part of that is like all the new assistant superintendents, superintendents stand up and the first, he looked over and says, you can do this job. And when I saw people stand up, I'm like, thank you for that confidence. And I really was driven by principals who did their internship with me. Like one of the proudest things I, I can speak about is that six principals who went through their, it's called their PALS tasks, the principals you know, tasks to, to complete their licensure are now sitting principals. And, and for me, that really drove me to support other people. And through that, I wanted to look at all frames of the profession from starting to principals and myself now. I mean, I'm 48 years old. I have a doctorate from Boston College. And at this last conference, I sat in a session from two teachers who were probably under 25, and I just soaked in everything that they were teaching me, and I've used it in the last month. And some people might say, well, that's not really mentoring, but it's learning. And when we talk about mentoring is how are we using the resources we have to make ourselves better? So it was definitely something I was driven to do because I'm in this position because of the people who mentored me to get here from my superintendent to my current superintendent who has the, the belief that says, go try these things and I got your back. And she's been there every step of the way. And it's given me drive and given me that excitement to come into work every day and try something. So for those who are on a campus and may not see their leaders as a potential mentor, because you had talked about you know that being a possibility in, in your own journey of saying, mm -hmm. oh, that's a leader I don't want to be like. Maybe it's a teacher wanting to be a counselor or a principal wanting mm -hmm. to become a central administrator. What are some strategies that they could use to find the correct mentor that's going to help them in their leadership journey? 
So I think because of where we are in our profession and in our community and culture, there's so many possibilities to connect with others. I can't tell you the amount of people I've connected with uh, through Twitter, especially. I mean, we're connected through through that now. And that's yeah. how we kind of talked it through is where I have some friends. I, Basil Marin, who's an assistant principal down in Atlanta, who talks a lot about equity and talks about diversity. And I met him at ASCD event, Empower event. And I've learned from him and he has mentored me in learning about diversity and equity and leadership. And we've been friends for two years. And, you know, is he assigned and signed a paper that says he's my mentor? No, but he's somebody that's taught me about different cultures and, and equity. And in the reverse, he had just started his doctoral pursuit and just got into school leadership. And he has leaned on me in the same way of like, how did you get through writing? How did you get through this? And we just leaned on each other. And we met through just reading through different Twitter chats. I love to go on Twitter chats and see, see the topics. And just making connections with people. Obviously, the question was about outside of your district. You would look inside first. Um, if there's someone either in your, your building or in your district. Um, actually, the book came from developing an aspiring leader program. So I used to work with the Massachusetts Association for Elementary School Principals here in Massachusetts called MESPA to develop an aspiring leaders course. And then in my last district, talked about the same thing. How are we supporting aspiring leaders? And when I wrote out the outline and shared it with Mark Barnes, essentially, who's the you know, CEO of Times 10, we started talking and he said, that's a book. That's not a program. And I was like, all right. And I met Mark two years ago in Boston, actually pitched him about four different ideas and four no's. And he's like, you know, that's kind of like being a mentor to me too. And this, because it's new to me. And he's like, no, tweak this, go with that. And I respected that about him. And we came to this idea of the modern mentor book. It wasn't a hack learning book. And they started a new series called Lead Forward at Times 10. And he thought this was a good fit. So he would be another person that I would talk about as mentoring in the writing field that I had never really ventured into. You talked about a aspiring leadership program for your district. If there is a district out there that is thinking about, okay, I want to grow my own leadership but I don't mm -hmm. even know where to start. What What is some things that they can begin with to kind of create their own aspiring leadership program? I think the first thing you do is establish someone to facilitate it. And, and I'm not saying it because um, I'm talking to you about this idea or I think I'm any expert on, on developing it, but there has to be one central person that is mm -hmm. the one who's going to develop the agenda, who's going to lead the professional development, who can visit these aspiring leaders in their schools. So for me, being a district physician, it worked out that I could go to the different schools and work with the teachers. You're going to have to have a trusting superintendent or assistant superintendent, wherever the program sits, to say, this is what's going to happen. And, and these teachers may be out of their classrooms. You have to then talk to the union to say, listen, to become leaders, these teachers are going to have to observe other teachers. And we're going to have to learn about giving feedback. And we're going to have to learn about creating positive relationships. And once you meet with the powers that be and get the okay or hear what needs to be, then you write a full year scope, just like any other plan. Here, here's our blueprint. Here's going to be our expectations. Here's going to be our norms. And then set a schedule, calendar it all out for the rest of the year, and then keep it and just keep working forward through the different professional moment time, face-to-face -face meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, and the one thing I would say is if you are training aspiring leaders, if they're doing observations or doing walkthroughs, do it in different buildings because you see things every day within your own environment. Look to other environments to, to see how you do it and, and, and how you can really grow. I went to see John Cusack, um, who's an actor, yeah. 
and he was talking about becoming an actor. And it was one of those times where you saw the movie, we saw High Fidelity, and then he, he answered questions. And someone said, what's the best advice you could give? He said, if you want to be an actor, spend some time with writers because they're going to write what you say. And he said, vice versa, if you want to be a writer, go do some acting. And I think it was great advice because you're taking the other perspective. And it's the same for aspiring leaders. If you want to be a leader, spend some time being in that, that role, be observed yourself, hear how feedback is, and then vice versa. So my advice to any district looking to start an aspiring leadership program um, is have that long view and know that the first year there could be some roadblocks or some speed bumps and just keep moving through. No, I think that's great advice. I, I know when I was a teacher trying to become an administrator, I was getting into classrooms and we had these little devices that allowed us to put in data. And, you know, I did like 300 in a year just to get that experience yeah. to show like, hey, I'm, I'm an instructional leader. But for those who are trying to become an administrator or a leader on a campus, what are some other experiences that they can benefit from to kind of impact their own leadership skills? I think one of the things that were surprising for me was the amount of time I spoke with families and parents. You know, as I said, it's the profession where you spend your whole time in a classroom and then you become the leader of all the classrooms. So you, you miss some of those intricacies of, of the pieces. Um, a lot of my conversations were running, you know, part of the PTO, the parent teacher organization. We're having conversations at the Rotary Club, trying to fundraise and, and, and pitch ideas. It was writing school improvement plans. One of the things I would do is go to parent groups, go to parent meetings, go to school committee meetings, because they're, they're very different, but they're very integral into your role. What I see sometimes for missteps for new principals, I see two big things. One, you think you're the boss. Just because you have the nameplate on the door doesn't make you the leader. And I know myself, I can say this because I fell on my face the first year because I took, I had a boss card, every principal has one, and I took it out every day. And I was young, uh, inexperienced, and I thought that's how you had to get things done. It, it, it really wasn't. The second thing is another misstep is more to answer the question, to, to meet the stakeholders in your community, is you have a great idea. This is a great idea. It's going to be awesome. It's going to change our district. It's going to change our school. But you can never get it off the ground because you're the only person who understands it and you don't have the funding. And you get very discouraged and it kind of turns your great idea sour when having opportunities to meet with the parent group or meet with a local business who might want to sponsor something. Those are skills you never had to do in the classroom. So I would get out in the community as much as possible. I would shadow a sitting leader and have them you know, go to their board meetings, go to their PTO, go to their school council. And because you're going to hear no way more than hear yes. And that's very different than in the classroom where you have you know, somewhat of the control over the lesson. You have some more control over the assessment. And when you move into that leadership position, it's one, it's a little bit lonely because you're the only one. And two, you hear no a lot more than you're used to. Yeah, I love what you've talked about so far because a lot of it is talking about collaboration and, and getting a bunch of stakeholders to see mm -hmm. one vision. In what ways can our leaders create a collaborative school? First of all, I know we talked a lot about the Modern Mentor book, my first book called The Power of Us is talking about collaborative communities. And I think the first thing to do to create a collaborative community is talk about what people do well. Our profession is one of the, the worst, I'm just gonna be honest with you, at <laughs> talking about the things we do well. If you teach a good lesson, it was the kids. If a principal had a good idea, it was the parent group. And not saying bragging, it's very different than bragging, but there's certain things in a school that t teachers, educators, paraprofessionals, custodians, you do really well. 
too often we look at our shortcomings or we look at here's the areas we need to improve. You're going to create a culture of collaboration. Highlight the things people do well. Because then what happens when there's areas where someone needs some support, you know where to go to and you don't feel uncomfortable. And it does the reverse too. If somebody is very skilled at something, they don't have to say it themselves. Hey, I'm great at speaking. I'm great at launching a lesson. I'm great at developing centers. Like Nobody wants to come out in a staff meeting and say that, but if a leader can pool everyone together and say, share something that, you know, tell me something you'd feel comfortable sharing with another colleague, whatever it is, so that you can create a menu of successes in a school, because then that's where you start getting peer mentors, where you can kind of work together, or you can get the, the opportunity to go visit a classroom. You know, I was great at launching a lesson, not so great at closing, because I got so excited and, and involved, and, and next thing you know, we're 10 minutes over. You know, as a younger teacher, I need to go see that, and vice versa. Somebody's having a harder time getting started. Well, we can, we can make that work, and I think to really breed that collaboration. One, you have to celebrate successes. And two, share why it's important. Because teachers, it's a profession that you shut the door and you go. And especially if you have a class that starts to succeed, because I've heard that as a principal, well, my, um, my kids are performing, why do I need to collaborate? And if you can't answer that question as the leader, then nobody's going to do it. And it's really talking about how we're going to continue to grow and continue to evolve as a profession. If we don't evolve, then we're going to be stagnant and we're going to be doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I love the fact that you've talked multiple times about a title does not create a leader. And I know that there's a lot of folks out there that may not have a leadership position, but want to make an impact. So for those people that are out there that may not have a title, how can they make an immediate impact on their campus? Well, first thing I talked about was Springfield College and leadership training camp. And the first tagline, you know, because every event has something, it was called leadership is action, not position. 1992, Silver Bay, New York. And that is something that has stuck with me for 20 something years or more at this point, is that leadership is action. What are you doing to show leadership attributes? It could just be in being the person who keeps the minutes. In, in a team meeting, it could be someone who keeps the, is the accountability leader, where you're having a team meeting say, these are our next steps and you follow through and you're that person. Or you're someone that says, you know, I'm here early every day. I'm going to do these four things. So when you get in, we know this is going to happen. And it's not doing something because someone else is not performing. I'm not saying pick up the slack where someone else is underperforming. It's it's really showing those leadership actions. If you are, you know, a, a great at you know, a public speaker, different things, volunteer to, to lead the assemblies, volunteer to give the introduction to students. If you're much more comfortable, kind of a softer setting or more behind the scenes, talk about data meetings, be the person who does and analyzes data or is the second opinion. I know for myself as a principal, somebody who was an incredible leader who you'd never know of was my school counselor. And I, you know, going back to talking about the first couple of years, it fell on my face because I was the boss and, and, and she was this school counselor. And after my first year just came up to me and was like, your emails are really harsh. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, they're pure factual and they get right to the point. There's no greeting. There's no, and I was like, well, I'm just getting things out. And she said, can you soften them up a little bit? And I was like, uh, I don't know how to do that. Like, uh, here it is. Here are the three things we need to get done. I got five minutes to type this, send, here's the information. And she said, send me your next few emails. So I'd send it to her. 
she softened them up and what happened was this started to get more buy in it and it was because she had that skill of really connecting at that level and it, i learned a lot from her and she was showing leadership actions by one having the courage to say boss this isn't working for you and i like what, i like your vision i like where you're going but i you need to do this and then the second i was like here's a skill that i have which you know, goes back about 10 minutes where I said, highlight the skills. And it really hit me like, wow, I can see the impact this is having. So I think, you know, going back to leadership as action is what are you doing? And I think sadly in our profession, it goes both ways. The thing that drives me crazy is when someone walks in and, and kept here and is screaming level zero or quiet town and you're modeling the negative behavior. So there's also the, the flip side of the action. So as a leader, look at the actions or if you're an aspiring leader, what are those actions that are saying, Ah, that person, I'm going to follow that person because a leader without a, without followers is just walking alone. Mm -hmm. and, and to be honest with you, the, the, the purpose of leadership is not to have followers. It's to create more leaders. Yeah. Matthew, for those who are listening to you and they're inspired and they want to connect with you, how can they connect with you on social media? You can visit me at Twitter. I use, I'm on Twitter a lot. I do a lot of chats is at Matthew X Joseph. Um, if you want to visit a website where I have information and blogs, it's, it's mxjspeaker.com. You can just visit me. Or if you have just some questions or concerns, you can just email me at drmatthewxjoseph at gmail.com. One of the things I really want to share with the listeners is I'm not here selling a book. Um, it'd be great if you purchase that, especially districts. I'd love to come and chat, but I'm here to support other people within this profession. So I mean what I say. If you have a question, email me. If you have, if there's a resource that I've used at a conference, let me know and I will share it with you. I truly believe that I am sitting here talking to you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm flying out to LA to talk at ASCD because of the people that got me here. And I owe it to them to do the same. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to connect. Uh, feel free to, to reach out. I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can just put my name in there and you, it'll come up. And I'd love to connect, love to support. I've done a lot of these type of conversations for staff meetings or different things because I've been, you know, a school leader for 11 years. I've been a district leader for, for four and other people have come into my staff meetings and that's how this profession works mm -hmm. is that the practical people who walk the walk are the ones who come back. And I want to do that for other people. Definitely connect with Matthew. And he that is not an empty promise. He will connect with you if you reach out and he will help you. I promise you that. Matthew, it's always a pleasure to, to talk with you. Thank you so much for being on this. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. And uh, good luck to all leaders out there and, and, and show those leadership actions. <laughs>